listening to 90% Mental, Conversations with Grant Parr, Episode 142. Mental performance coach Grant Parr sits down with Jim Thompson, founder of Positive Coaching Alliance, to talk about the current state of youth sports and how the pandemic is affecting sports as a whole. During these times, Jim explains why focusing on connection is paramount and being an elevator to support people is so important. This transformational game changer also shares how to coach a sustainable culture and the power of reframing. What would more wins, higher productivity, or quicker recovery mean for you? NeuroPeak Pro optimizes human performance by working to promote balance within the autonomic nervous system. Used by the world's elite athletes, this training program is now available to you at home. Cutting-edge neuroscience and technology allows you to strengthen your brain remotely, anytime, anywhere. Schedule your evaluation and get started with your brain training today. Visit NeuroPeak Pro and receive a 10% discount by using the promo code GRANTPAR. You're interested in a full-body resistance training system to achieve your athletic and fitness goals? The Mass Suit from Juke Performance is your answer. The Mass Suit is a full body resistance training suit that you wear during your exercising or sports specific training to enhance your speed, strength, power, agility, and endurance. You are fully mobile and it's great for plyometric and high intensity training. It engages all muscle groups simultaneously and increases to a 50% caloric burn. Check out the Mass Suit at jukeperformance.com and other fitness-related products, and make sure to use the promo code GRANTPAR, one word, G-R-A-N-T-P-A-R-R, for your 10% discount. Hey, Jim, how are you? Doing pretty well, given the circumstances, Grant. Absolutely. It is a, it's definitely a, a different time for all of us. Um, and I'm really uh, excited to talk to you a little bit about just kind of how to coach athletes and parents and coaches through this time. Um, obviously, in the next 30 minutes or so, there's going to be so many different topics we're going we're gonna, to uh, cover and uncover within youth sports. So I'm really excited to, to have you on my show and just kind of get inside your mindset and dig in a little bit about youth sports. Absolutely. Looking forward to it. All right. Well, let's get into my favorite topic before we get into um, the interview itself, but let's talk about uh, mental toughness. When you think about those two words, mental toughness, what does that mean to you? Well, I've got a couple uh, examples. Um, I really love the movie Gandhi years and years ago. And there's a scene in that when he's at a demonstration and they're burning identity cards that uh, Indians in South Africa have to, new law, they have to carry them. And he goes up and he's burning these these cards. Then a policeman comes and whacks him on the head with a, a, a baton. He falls down. He gets up and starts dumping him in again, whams him again. And he, like a third time, he's trying to get up. And finally, the guy hits him and he stays down for a while. And I remember showing that to my girls basketball team at Fremont High School in Sunnyvale years ago. Um, that uh, toughness is uh, getting back up. Courage is getting back up. It's not never getting knocked down. 
Um, and another way I'll, I'll describe it is um, I'm, I'm, I really love poetry. In fact, I, I teach an online spiritual poetry class uh, every week. And Piet Hein is, um, I think he's from, a, from a, the Netherlands or Holland. Maybe those are the same place. Um, and he has a little couplet. He says, uh, to be brave, <clears throat> to, be to be brave is to behave bravely when you're feeling faint. So you can be really brave only when you really ain't. Wow. <laughs> that's, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Now, through your whole career, um, going through uh, creating Positive Coaching Alliance, uh, you've created this, this really, really cool uh, platform and structure. Uh, going through your whole career, can you, ex can you share like a moment where you had to be mentally tough yourself a specific time? Yeah, it was early on, um, Positive Coaching Alliance. I was an employee of Stanford University, um, and I worked for the Stanford Business School, and then I wanted to start Positive Coaching Alliance, so I went over to see Ted Leland, the athletic director, and he created a job for me he, and gave me an office, and I was in this dark little office over in Robley Gym on um, way across the, the campus from the business school where I'd been, and I was... Um, it had. It was a. It was an office that had um, no internet hookup. Wow. You could call out on a telephone, but it didn't ring when somebody called you, so you didn't know if somebody was calling you. Um, and it was way away from everybody I knew on campus. But it did have a couch, and I used to curl up on that couch in the fetal position and just kind of like, what if? What have I gotten myself into here? And Dan Whalen, a longtime friend and an original board member of Positive Coaching Alliance, he also may have been the first donor and just a really wonderful, wonderful person. I called him up and I said, hey, could we have, could we have lunch? I just, I really need to talk to you. And he came down to Stanford and we had lunch at the faculty club. And I said, what do you remember about starting your company? He started a really fabulously successful company. <clears throat> I said, what do you remember about starting the company? And he said, I remember being weary all the time. Mm. And that was really motivating for me because I felt weary <laughs> most of the time. And it's like, I can get through this. And what was, if you don't mind sharing, like what what allowed you to kind of get through it, push through it, have that mental toughness? What was that that motivator? Well, um, I think ideas are the big motivator, mm. um, at least for me. Um, being able to to see the future that you are trying to envision, yeah, um, and it. I talked to a lot of people. I, I was teaching a class in coaching uh, and leadership through the continuing studies program at Stanford. <clears throat> and um, just a whole bunch of really fabulous people came through, people who later became board members and real strong supporters of Positive Coaching Alliance. And when I would talk to them about this crazy idea I had of starting an organization um, to, to deal with the problems in youth sports, everybody said, yes, yes, that's what we need. Um, Bill Drayton, who is the founder of Ashoka, 
which supports um, social entrepreneurs, and he's a winner of the MacArthur Genius Award as well. He came to speak to some of my students when I was at the Stanford Business School. And after he was done speaking, I walked him to his car and I said, hey, I got this idea. And I told him about the idea. And he said, I hear music. Wow. <laughs> and so those, those moments of, you know, the up, uh, I, I call them the FUDs, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Um, I have a lot of FUDs. Yeah. And they, they come and go. If I, if I do my spiritual disciplines, you know, if I, if I meditate in the morning, <clears throat> write in my journal, read some poetry, um, the FUDs tend to dissipate. But uh, they, they keep coming back. And, um, but it's when, you, when, when something really positive like that happens, yeah. um, I, can, I, can, I can ride on that for a while. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it, that, that resonates with me just because outside of being a, a mental performance coach and an athlete, uh, I'm a musician as well. And music is... Yeah, I see that guitar guy. Yeah, know. that's one of them. <laughs> Uh, it's music is vibration, it's rhythm, it's connection. And, um, so when you, when you get to connect to that and plug into it, um, there's so many good things that can happen. And, and so that, that's just awesome. As soon as you said that I, I hear music, man, that, uh, I don't know. I just, I felt that that's pretty cool. Now, when you think about your whole career so far, um, over the last 22 plus years, uh, this might be a hard question to answer, but what's been your proudest moment? Long pause. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I've been married for 47 plus years now. <clears throat> um, it hasn't felt like it's been really hard. Sandra is my spiritual guide and she's just an incredible person. Um, my son Gabriel is a writer. Uh, he's he started writing books before at an age before I did and he's already got five written and he's very successful at it he's got a wonderful family my daughter-in-law kid um, grandchildren Rafi and, and Lila um, certainly starting positive coaching alliance uh, my wife and I uh, helped found recovery cafe San Jose which is a healing community for people suffering from homelessness mental illness and drug addiction um, I don't know. I just, um, certainly the, writing books is not easy for me. I, I've done a lot of them, but right. <laughs> not easy. So there's a lot of things I feel good about. Um, pride, proud, I don't know. Um, I'm so aware of all the people who help contribute to those accomplishments um, it certainly wasn't me alone. So right. probably a pretty non-responsive answer there. <laughs> well, when you started this, this journey, you know, over two decades ago, did you know that you were going to transform youth sports culture? Well, that was the goal. Um, and as much as I'd like to, uh, to just nod my head at what you said, I don't think we have, we've, mm. we've made a difference. I think the biggest the biggest impact Positive Coaching Alliance has had, um, when, when I started, there was, a, there was one coach who sort of dominated, the, he was the icon of coaching. Would you happen to remember who that was 20 some years ago? Uh, Wooden? 
Bobby Knight. Bobby Knight, yes. And, uh, you know, Phil Jackson and I are both from North Dakota, although I didn't know him at that time. And he got involved very early and made a huge difference. And he talked about the impact that, uh, that Bobby Knight had. Um, and I learned not to say anything about Bobby Knight, not to say anything good, not to say anything bad, because people in the audience were so uh, polarized about him. Yeah. Um, well, the idea back then, 20-some years ago, was that to be a good coach, even for six-year-olds and seven-year-olds, you have to be kind of a hard ass. You got you to gotta make it tough for them. And I, I once interviewed uh, Bill, um, Bill Walsh um, shortly before he died. Um, he was a huge supporter as well. And he said, you know, it, it bothered him so much. One of the reasons he got involved with Positive Coach Alliance, it bothered him so much that kids, boys, couldn't wait to play football. And then they go to their first practice. They're so excited. And the coach uh, makes them show, you know, what kind of a tough man they are. Well, first of all, um, the idea of toughness and, and manhood is, uh, I like what Joe Ehrman says about, about manhood. Being a, being a man is, is who you love and who you allow to love you and the larger cause that you're involved with. It's not about being nasty, snarly, but that was the norm. And I think even though we, Positive Coaching Alliance hasn't changed the whole culture of youth sports, it has changed the idea of good coaching. Um, Phil Jackson was seen as kind of a weirdo initially because he was so positive and he didn't scream at his players all that much. And now you got Steve Kerr and, and uh, Brad Stevens and uh, the norm now is becoming more and more coaches who are positive and build people up. So we got, we got ways to go. And that's part of what my new book is, uh, is on, which I kind of characterize as youth sports meets climate change. But we've made some big progress. Absolutely. For sure. You know, and, and I will share with you a little bit, you know, my experience growing up, I, I played football for 13 years. I had the opportunity to play all sports. Um, not all, but I played, you know, baseball, basketball, soccer, track, football, but football was my sport. But I started that game when I was about seven, eight years old. And I would remember from out, all the way up until college, the, I had great coaches from depending on the team and the coach at the time, but the language that was used, it was like the, the fact, the things that I was hearing when I was 10 years old was just, it was appalling when you think about it. And that's how they motivated you. But now it's where we're, I feel like we've shifted the pendulum. Do you feel like, and, and a lot of it, we've done it for the good, but do you think that we've, we're getting too sensitive when we're at, at this point, I feel like our culture can be sensitive. We can't say this. We can't push them. We can't because, you know, I, I, I did a podcast um, with um, John Gordon. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you probably oh, yeah. know John. For sure. <clears throat> Incredibly positive guy and so prolific. I mean, it seems like he's coming out with a new book every month or so. And they're know, good. Right? Everyone is good. Yep. But I did a podcast with him uh, when I was doing one for Positive Coaching Alliance and I, uh, I asked him, we talked about tough, toughness, and I said, where does toughness come from? <clears throat> no, no, I said, uh, no, I did say, where, where does toughness come from? And he said, he paused, and he said, wow, that's a really good, good question. And he said, it comes from connections. Uh. 
And I've just uh, I participated in a book club <clears throat> reading Lost Connections by Johan Hari. That's H-A-R-I, Lost Connections. Um, and Hari was somebody who was, um, he was depressed most of his life. <clears throat> He's an amazing writer. I recommend anybody read this book, Lost Connections. Um, and he was told over and over again that there was something wrong with his brain. That's why he was depressed. And so they gave him drugs. And what he discovered, that didn't help at all. What really helps is the connections we have. First of all, the connections to people, but the connections to, to good values. <clears throat> you know, if we're, if we're coaching and we want to win so badly that we cheat or mm. bend the rules, that's disconnection. That's a disconnection. Right. Uh, disconnections from, um, you know, our, our potential future. So many kids don't see themselves as having a future. And I think one of the things coaches can do is they can, they can say, they can help kids develop a sense of purpose. <clears throat> Bill Damon, who's uh, at Stanford University, wrote a book called The, pa the, pow the Path to Purpose. <clears throat> and um, it's just, the, the book is so good. And Bill was on our National Advisory Board for many years, but I hadn't read the book. I read it like seven or eight years after he wrote it. And I went through and I got page after page of quotes that I just pulled out of it. <clears throat> One of them is, um, when young people have a sense of purpose, you almost can't hold them back. Mm. And purpose is the, long, the, the number one long-term motivator in life. So going back to your question earlier, what kept me going with positive coaching lines in those dark days and that office I had in Roby Gym was dark. Um, it was a sense of purpose. There's something here. Um, I've, I have a chance to do something here. <clears throat> um, Killian No, who's the founder of Recovery Cafe up in Seattle, the original one, I helped start one down here in San Jose. Um, she, she once talked about St. Francis of Assisi, who died at the age of 42 from a plague or some kind of disease that there was no, no um, cure for at that time. <clears throat> and he said, I am not discouraged because I have done what has been given for me to do. Mm. And I keep coming back to that. What has been given for me to do? Um, can I do that? Can I focus on that? And if I do, then um, I, I need to be satisfied with that. Yeah, that's beautiful. You know, I, I want to bring up this because it's popped in my mind, um, especially when you brought up Joe Ehrman and football. You know, that's a sport where, you know, it's machismo. And, you, you, you know, back in the day, at least when I was playing, there was a lot of screaming and yelling. You got to be tough. And what's interesting, I had uh, Keith Mitchell was on my show not too long ago. He's a former um, Pro Bowl linebacker for the Saints. Um, he's now turned yogi. He's completely, he's living a spiritual path and he's incredible. He's transformed his body that he didn't, doesn't even look like he was a football player. But as we were talking about femininity and masculinity within sports, he basically said that you cannot get to the elite level in athletics without tapping into your femininity. And I was like, well, wait, like, what does that mean? He goes, 
when you get to that elite level, whether if it's professional sports or the Olympics, you have to learn how to finesse, whether it's finesse your body, finesse your language, finesse how to deal with situations. And he goes, and finessing is a feminine trait. And I was like, wow, it was, it was very, it was an interesting perspective. So my question is, as we're teaching these, these young adults, these young athletes, is there a space where we, we, can, we can teach how to bring out their, uh, the balance of masculinity and femininity? Absolutely. You know, the, that lost connection um, idea from Johan Hari, uh, losing connection with the feminine part of ourselves, that also is alienating. Um, and I remember uh, years ago, a friend of mine, this was a long time ago, I'd never heard of Joe Herman, and a friend of mine sent me a, uh, a videotape in the mail of uh, Joe Herman being interviewed on uh, Real Sports. I'm forgetting the name of the person who did Real Sports, but, um, and um, I, I, I put it on, and there was this big, strong guy saying, what is your what is our purpose as coaches and the players saying to love us and what are your per, what's your purpose as te, uh, teammates and to love each other it's not so sh shocking now but it was shocking at the time yeah and i think it you know if if joe Ehrman had been a librarian and you know looked like a <laughs> the fact that he was so obviously masculine and so obviously strong and tough um, and was tough enough to tap into that feminine side of himself. Um, like I said, it's not so shocking now because um, a friend of mine, Jerry Lynch, who um, is just a wonderful sports psychologist and works with hundreds of teams, he's got a new book coming out called The Competitive Buddha. Oh, wow. And um, <laughs> I, he asked me to write a, a blurb for it, which I did because it's a really interesting book. Um, and the thing about Buddhism is sports, the ideas from sports psychology and the ideas from Buddhism, they are totally in sync. Totally. And I don't just say Buddhism because um, I've, I've meditated, done mindfulness meditation for a long time. And um, I did uh, the, uh, the Jesus prayer for a long time. Um, where you, you re, um, the mantra you use is Yeshua, which was Jesus's name in Aramaic. Um, and that, you know, meditation, I just watched the 10, 10 hours of the last dance about Phil Jackson and Michael yeah. Jordan and the Bulls right. and the, the, the meditation. At one point, one of his, um, one of the people that worked, worked out with him or, is a, not a sports psychologist exactly but anyway he said the difference between michael jordan and everybody else <clears throat> is that he was always in the moment he was never allowing a thought to come into his head think like oh we might lose or i might make a mistake or <laughs> now he did make mistakes and there's that famous famous commercial where he says right. you know 47 times i missed <laughs> yeah. the winning shot right um but um, and that all made sense that he was, you know, you could argue with whether he should be, it was good for him to be so focused right. <laughs> um, uh, on just winning, but um, boy, that really hit with me. So this idea of 
the, the concepts of Buddhism and Thomas Keating, who is a, uh, a wonderful man, a Catholic priest who died recently, and he, um, centering prayer is what it's called, not the Jesus prayer, centering prayer. And he was concerned because all these Americans were going to India to learn to, to meditate. And he said, well, there's a long Christian tradition of meditation too. And so he, he uh, revived that. Um, um, so anyway, that's, <laughs> you got me going. On, I love on it. <laughs> well, you know, it, because I agree with you. I think um, now you, you know, we're going to talk here in a second about transformational coaching. And, and I know you're probably familiar with Sarah High School in San Mateo, which I spent a lot of time. Um, yeah, we worked with them. Yeah. And the football coach there, I've coached football there. I actually started my mental performance coaching there, actually. So there's a special um, spot in my heart for that, for that high school and that institution. They had a but couple the, of good athletes come out of there, too. Oh, just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> just a couple. But the head coach, Patrick Walsh, and, and I've brought him up a lot on my podcast, but since we're talking about this idea of uh, vulnerability and femininity, if you've ever met the man who's ultra competitor, he's, he's intense, but he's one of my favorite coaches that I've been associated with, coached with, I learned from, because he knows the balance of pushing his athletes, but he knows how to coach the heart of the athlete but he does certain things like when, when the, when the, when he has a parent conference, that first meeting and beginning of the season, he brings up, he says, if you don't like me telling your son that I love him on a daily basis and hugging him and kissing him, I don't want him on the team because I'm taking care of your son. And this is the love and passion that I give to my team. And I don't hear a lot of coaches doing that. I know there's some, but the fact that he says that and I see it all the time, it's refreshing, especially in, in the game of football when you have somebody doing that. Um, and I think that's, that, that opens up vulnerability in, in, in that femininity piece, which I think is very healthy. Yeah, I um, have a lot of respect for, for Patrick. He's done an incredible job. I will say, though, that I hadn't heard that story before it sounds a little bit like my way or the highway mm. that um, and I think one of the things that Phil Jackson was so great at Steve Kerr, Brad Stevens, the, the you know, the uh, Herm Edwards, the great coaches is their flexibility <clears throat> that, um, you know, when Dennis Rodman joined the Bulls, um, <laughs> Jackson said, you know, um, I don't care what color your hair is. You know, I don't care if you go to go out and drink until three in the morning. Are you going to be here for the team? And uh, David Bradford, who I taught with at um, he and um, Jerry Porras, uh, Deb Meyerson at Stanford Business School, he talked about core values and peripheral values. And it's such a powerful concept because when I was in high school, I had my hair, I had hair, and it, it came just down to over here. And my football coach said, if you don't, you know, if you don't put that hair up, I'm going to knock you across the room or whatever. Um, I was totally committed to the team. I worked really hard. I did everything I could to be successful. That's the core value, whether I have my hair a little long. Um, right. and, and I think... <clears throat> Coaches really need to understand that. If you, if you make 
peripheral values, mm. super important and my way or the highway kinds of things, you're going to drive some kids away who could really benefit from being on your team. Got it. That totally makes sense. And it's interesting because it's kind of a, it's a, it's an interesting paradigm when I actually, when I think about that particular situation, because it is my way or the highway, but it, but it's all about around love. It's around, it's not, I mean, you know what I mean? It's not like, um, I'm not criticizing. I just, it just struck me as, uh, yeah. you know, if, if I can't do exactly what I want with your kid, <laughs> that I don't too. Want to the team. that's right. That's right. <laughs> I got a point. But let's talk about transformational coaching. Let's do that. So I'll just throw it out there. What does that mean to you? What is transform transformational coaching? Well, uh, for me, it's all about identity. <clears throat> um, Jim March, who uh, was a professor of mine, actually my boss for a little while at Stanford Business School, one of the smartest guys who ever walked the face of the earth. He died last summer, sadly. Um, he is all about identity. And he, he would say, like, why do people do what they do? Well, a lot of people do because if you do, do X, you get reward. If you do Y, you get punished. So you don't do want to do Y. He said there's another reason why people do things. And that is to live up to their identity of themselves. Mm. And he, his favorite book was Don Quixote, who said, uh, I know who I am. So the, the, the book that I've been working on for, I mentioned before to you, before we started this, yeah. I've been working on it eight or nine or 10 years. <laughs> and it's really evolved, but it's all about identity. Um, and can we help kids uh, aspire to an identity that will help them become the kind of person they want to become. Um, I grew up in North Dakota, and uh, my dad and grandfather were farmers. And the snow, the blizzards were so, so bad. And those, you know, it's getting warmer in the Midwest. You know, the whole world was warming up. But some of those blizzards were so bad that um, they would string a rope to the barn. If it's really snowing badly, you can't just say, well, I'm going to stay inside today. You've got cows to milk and animals to feed. So they would follow that rope out to the barn, and then they'd follow it back to the home to make sure. Because people would actually die. They'd freeze to death, right. like just yards away from, from safety, but they couldn't see it. So I'm using that metaphor of the rope to the barn. What is our rope to the barn that allows us to go out and do the things we need to do and to get back to safety? And I think it's identity. Mm -hmm. And um, Eric Erickson, back in 1970, coined a term called uh, generativity. Generativity is a commitment to and a focus on future generations. So as a baby, I think about, oh, it's just me, me, me. In fact, I don't even see anything else. It's just me. And then I realize, oh, it was my mother and my father. And, and then as we get older and older, there's more and more people. Um, and we you know, we incorporate them into our lives. And um, generativity goes way beyond that. It's about the people we don't even see. Um, how can we benefit the people who are going to come after us? And that's where uh, the book took a real shift uh, when I started to learn about climate change, because, um, you know, we, we, had to, we had to stay inside most of last week because the air quality from fires that were quite a ways away from us, but um, were so bad. And um, it's really, it's, it's coming down the pike. The climate change is gonna be 
the the opening chapter of my book is called a um, a harsh new world mm -hmm. um the world that our kids and their kids and their kids are going to grow up in is not the, the world that you and i grew up in it's going to be so incredibly harsh and what our society needs what our world needs is high highly generative people people who are doing what needs to be done to to help the future and the term i've coined for that is an, being an elevator and that's elevator with an er not elevator or elevator with or goes up and down right. as one of the women at recovery cafe after a class i was teaching on being an elevator she said this elevator only goes up <laughs> an elevator is someone a highly generative person someone who in every situation they're in they're looking around saying how can i make this situation better it may be awful but how can i make it better mm -hmm. and coaches are in an incredible position to help young people become elevators to aspire to that to become the kind of people who can be successful and contributing who can can make it through this harsh new world um, and can not just make it for themselves but help deal with the the problems we have climate change is the the worst crisis in the history of humanity and that's that's saying a lot right you know and i want to talk a little bit in a second about the pandemic and how to kind of coach coaches and athletes through this time but when we think about transformational coaching um and i've had some incredible ones that just uh just man when they coach me uh, my heart just throbs, it resonates and it vibrates. But when, when we think about transactional coaching, does it have a place at all in the process? Like, is there a time where you, a coach needs to be transactional or does it just not have a place at all in coaching period? Well, um, let me characterize what I think transactional coaching is. Like, if you play really hard for me, I'll treat you well. You, I'll, I'll be nice to you. I'll, as your coach, I'll give you opportunity to play, etc. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think about my wife, and um, one of the things, one of the things she said to me uh, recently is like, when I first met her, she, I, she said you were really skinny and you had this long, stringy hair, and I wasn't attracted to you at all. But we were working together in a school for emotionally disturbed kids, and it was her first day of work. And she had bus duty. And these were kids who were very tough behavior problems. They were bused in from all over the city of St. Paul, Minnesota to this school, the Behavioral Learning Center. And the bus was 45 minutes to an hour late because these kids were just running riot on the school, on the school bus. And she was the bus aide. She was supposed to con control them. Um, and she got off the bus and she looked like she was going to fall apart. So I said, hey, I know you got recess duty today. Would you like me to take it for you? So you can rest a little bit and she said um, she told me she later told her therapist like he really saw me <laughs> now um was i doing that on a transactional basis you know like we right i would say the transactional basis is is it is a transition phase to get to the transformational phase got it I like that and if you stay in the trans transactional phase, it's not going to be, you're not going to live the life that you could have lived. Yeah. I like that. Now with, with the pandemic, with, 
it, you know, from week to week, month to month, things change for all levels of athletic programs. Uh, what would be your message to coaches and athletes during this time? Connections are what gets us through the hard times. Um, the, I, I may have mentioned earlier that when I, was, when I was doing a podcast with John Gordon, I asked him where toughness co comes from. And he said, from connections. And um, our society and our world is really set up to divide us. To, it used to be that we you know, grew up in a small town, farming community, everybody knew everybody. There was all kinds of connections. I could go out the door of my house when I was five, six, seven years old. And my mom could be uh, secure in that everybody in town knew me and like half the people were related to me. Well, now, you know, we're in a much different society. So I think the number one thing that, that coaches can do, people can do to get through this really tough time. And I do want to say times are going to get tougher. This is not, this is not the, the worst by any means um, is to help make connections. And I, um, I think I showed you, now I don't know what I do with them. Oh, there they are. Um, I think we might've gotten interrupted just when I was showing these, these connections about, a, or these drawings about what I call an all of us team. All of us know that all of us care about all of us. And if we, if we look at, this is a drawing my wife did for the book. If we look at the centered dot as the coach and the other dots as the athletes, um, and you see the connections there, and the coach is connected to a bunch of players, but not all of them. Um, and some of the players are connected to each other. Um, I realized I gave you the wrong one first. This is the one with the coach connected only to a few. This one, this is better. This is the coach connected to every player. Mm. But a lot of the players aren't connected to, to very many people. And this is, this is the goal of a coach. This should be the goal of a coach. Wow. And all of us culture, every player is connected with the coach and with every other player. And you think about the, the, the strength of this kind of a relationship when hard times come. And the hard times could be, you know, your star player got injured. Uh, you lost the game. You thought you were going to win. Um, you know, you, you're, you qualify for state tournament, but they don't hold the state tournament. Right. Um, and then think about the strength of this kind of team in dealing with those kinds of problems. It also helps you not have so many problems. It helps you get through the tough times. Right. So I, th I think that connection piece is really, really important. Well, that picture for me, it, it represents culture, a connectedness yes. with culture. And, and when you think about um, just maybe cause I'm kinesthetic, I felt that picture, meaning there was a lot of connection dots, hence connecting and connecting with, with the whole group, the whole program, the whole culture. Um, and that's something that I've been talking a lot about with, uh, with my athletes is, you know, this is, this is the moment where I think we stay connected to our craft. Uh, I, I always talk about doing all the hard work in the dark so you can shine in the light. So let's, let's, let's do that work. Let's stay connected to our craft. And then also let's stay connected to the people that feed us, make, make sure that, you know, that because right now there's a lot of fear-based thinking and and during the pandemic if you can if you can feed your craft and you can feed your energy receive and, and give 
with the people that are good and they're going to feed you. I think this is the, a way that we can see an opportunity with this pandemic. You know, there's a, there's a study, it was covered in the New York Times Magazine several years ago. It's called the Aristotle study and it was looking at teams at Google. Um, many, many, many teams. Some of whom were very successful, some who were okay, some who weren't so successful. Hmm. And you know, you don't get hired at Google unless you're smart, you know, and you want to work hard. Um, you know, maybe there's some mistakes, but basically it's uh, people want to work there. And what, so every group had people who were smart, that worked hard. The one that the conclusion from the study was what caused the teams to be successful was psychological safety. Oh, wow. That when you felt that you could be yourself, instead of covering up a mistake, you could say, wow, I just screwed up. <laughs> you know, um, that is what caused those teams at Google to be successful. And I think it's very similar in a sports team of kids, even all the way up to the, uh, the pros. But um, can I be myself? Will people accept me if I don't have to, if I don't put up a big front? And you know, what comes up for me is that when you can be yourself, you can, you're allowing yourself to be the best version of yourself, but there's, there's an element of being free. You can operate a little more freer and you're not uh, posing this, this look that you have to, you know, that you're sufficing for somebody, this outside force. You can actually just be yourself and, and allow yourself to be free to perform. I read a book. Um, I think I had a, a anthropology class or something in college, like 50 years ago, a long time ago. And it was called the presentation of self in everyday life. It was way ahead of its time, but it's like the different ways we present ourselves to uh, the world to make ourselves look good, to make ourselves feel good about, about ourselves. And one of the great things about uh, a team is that, that that can be relaxed. Um, I don't know if you watched the, the Last Dance, the, the show oh, yeah. about the, For the sure. ten, 10 hours of the <laughs> right? <world. laughs> um, And there was, uh, I remember this, I, you know, we got WGN, in North Dakota got WGN, which carried all the Bulls games. So my parents were Bulls fanatics. I was living somewhere else at the time. But um, but I remember the game where Scottie Pippen stayed on the bench. He uh, Michael had gone to play baseball, and Scottie was thinking, I should take the last shot. And uh, Phil Jackson put together a, uh, a play for Tony Kukoc. And Kukoc made the basket, and they won. And they went into the locker room. And Phil shut the, locked the doors. Nobody got in. And they just talked it out. And Scotty apologized. And everybody forgave him. Um, I just, I think that's just such a lovely story. Because it could have been so easy for to Phil to have gone off on him, for Michael Jordan to have gone off on him. And Phil didn't allow that to happen. We're all going to go in there and we're going to talk it out. And when we come out, we're a team again. Yeah. I love that. And I love that part of, uh, of Last Dance. And you know what I love about that transformational coaching? Um, I believe what he exudes that is when, when you have this, you create a space. You have enough space for your players to move. It's, you know, like we were talking earlier about the transactional of, you know, doing it my way. And, and you know, there, there's no movement in transactional. Um, and just allowing, knowing your players first, knowing how to coach the heart of the athlete, but just allowing them to have the space, but also 
um, conjuring and, and, and fostering and cultivating the energy for us to actually be a team and talk this stuff out. Yes. It's awesome. It's great. I love it. I talk about team conversations and, you know, many coaches, maybe most coaches start, start practice. You know, the kids are coming from having uh, sat in a classroom for whatever, and they want to move. And the first thing a coach does is sit them down and talk to them for 20 minutes. Um, So I talk about having one to two minute conversations and a bunch of them, not just one at the beginning, one at the end, but throughout. So, um, and, and you get people uh, to, to say what's on their mind. Uh, and you you can ask your and this is leadership. You can ask your best players. Um, you can say something like and take one of them aside and say, you know, you're one of the, the the most talented players on the team, and I really need your help. I really need you to be a leadership uh, a leadership role. We all have emotional tanks. I I don't call them emotional tanks anymore because those are gasoline tanks and we're moving towards electric vehicles. So I now call we all have an uh, emotional battery that yeah. needs to be recharged. Yeah. And so you player. Um, can you be a leader? Can, uh, you know, when you look around the, the team, think about the players who might not feel comfortable as much. And can you say something to them that will charge their battery? Um, that, you know, I, I think about who do I want to work with? Who do I want to live with? Who do I want to be part of? It's people who charge each other's batteries, who are positive with each other. And that doesn't mean you don't have a hard conversations. Um, I had a, uh, one of my last conversations with Bill Walsh, I interviewed him, and and he was talking about, um, you know, some a, a kid who just he couldn't explode, you know, he 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 wasn't he wasn't hitting people hard enough, and he, he said to the kid, you know, you know maybe maybe this game isn't for you, and the kid says, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you got to come explode off the line, and so I said, well, he said that to the kid alone, separately, not in front of everybody else, right. I said, well, what happened next day? And he said, the kid came back and he was exploding, <laughs> you know? So you have those hard conversations, but you do it in a sense of, of caring. I remember John Gardner, um, who started Common Cause and the White House Fellows Program was a mentor of mine. I was so lucky um, that um, he talked about, he said he could be a good boxer if the opponent would stand still. <laughs> so he wasn't a good boxer. <laughs> and he got cut from the boxing team and the coach said, you're a really good athlete. You're not a boxer, but you're a really good athlete. Keep, you know, look. And he became a, in those days it was pack six, maybe or pack eight. Well, certainly wasn't pack 12, but it might've been you know, only pack six, but um, Pacific athletic conference, he became a, an all conference swimmer. Now a coach could have cut him in a way that would discourage somebody from even continuing. But he said, no, you're a good athlete. Boxing is just not your sport. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. And I can, Jim, I could talk for hours with you on all these different can, topics. Can I, say, can I say one more thing about, about team culture? Yeah. Um, coaches t- coaches want to win. Everybody wants to win. I only knew one coach who didn't care about winning. Um, because that's the currency we trade in. Are you a good coach? What was your win-loss record? Um, But this idea of a double-O coach that we developed at Positive Coaching Alliance, yeah, you are trying to win. That's the first goal. But the second more important goal is using sports to teach life lessons. Um, And um, so you make connections with the kids who you think can help you win. 
And then you often ignore the other kids. So um, the, um, the baseball coach at Stanford, and I'm forgetting his name right now, um, he came, he played at Stanford, then he went coach Cal for a while and came back to Stanford. And he talked about making connections among the players that in, pra in practice, they would have meetings and they would have one player at a time tell their story, their life story. What do they like? And he said, you know, you might be the only, only player on that baseball team who likes chess, you think. And then you find out somebody else likes chess or I like country music or whatever it is. So one of the things coaches can do is, first of all, make connections with every kid and, and make sure you make those connections with the kids who aren't the best athletes. In some, in some ways, that's more important. Um, and then create ways for the kids to make connections with each other. So pair them up. We, um, one of my favorite tools is uh, the buddy system, um, where you pair kids up and you say, okay, I want you to do this drill, but at the same time, I want you to fill the, not the emotional thing, recharge the emotional battery of your, of your buddy. Right. Uh, and then the kids come back and you say, okay, who got their, their, their uh, tank chart? I mean, <laughs> I'm having the transition, the, uh, <laughs> your battery charge. And you don't, you don't get discouraged if there's not much going on because you keep at it. You keep at it. And these kids then become, um, they become connected to each other. And that's where you get that, that web of connections that makes a team really successful. You know what I like about that? And I wish I could remember her name. But I believe it was, this was years back, but it was um, the head coach for University of Florida for the softball team. And she would, what she would do is she was, she did the same thing that you were explaining, but every week she would team up a different, uh, a pair up, two athletes. And every week they would have to, it was either once a week or twice a week, they would have to have lunch and dinner. They, they called them dates, but they probably can't say that now, but anyways, but what they did was each week they would get a lunch and a dinner with a, with a different athlete. And then if it, and if they ran through the whole team, they would still keep on doing it, even if they've already met with that person throughout that season, but they would come up in front of the team and they'd have to share one thing that they learned about that person. Uh, I love that. I right? love that. And it was I'm just put that in my book. Yeah, it's awesome. And it's, uh, and it, it's always stuck out like how powerful that is. Cause man, you can just spend a little bit of time with someone and you just ask a question. You learn so much. You think, you know, somebody when you play, uh, throughout a season, but man, when you can get, get out of the environment, you could really, really not only just, um, learn more about the person, but understand their energy and connect with them. Like you're talking about like charging, I call plugging in like, I want to plug into your socket and I want you to plug into my socket. Yeah. 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 Um, it's Dave Esker is the uh, Stanford bat baseball coach. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, great coach. Uh, and I love that, that story about um, having kids come back. You give them an assignment. Yeah. And um, the research tends to show that kids do not take what they learn from one arena to another. So what they're learning in sports, maybe they learn to try really, really hard in sports because it's so important to them. They don't necessarily think, oh, if I try that hard in math, you know, maybe I could get a better grade. And so it's important for coaches to, trans to make that transfer to say, you know, you guys are working really hard. Think about how much better you are today than we were th three weeks ago when we started, uh, started the season. Um, what if you gave that kind of effort in your, in your classes? Um, 
so I think that that idea of oh, and, and it, I have what I call a take at home exercise, especially with the the uh, emotional battery. That yeah. once the kids on your team understand the concept of the emotional battery and how important it is to recharge people's batteries, you say, okay, um, uh, next week when we have practice, next Monday when we have practice, I'm going to ask you. Uh, this is your assignment. Find somebody not on the team, somebody in your family, somebody at school, um, and charge their battery do something or say something that will recharge their batteries and then i want to i'm going to ask you about it when you come back and then maybe on on uh, wednesday i'll say you know um are you guys remembering the assignment the take it home assignment um, and again if if people kind of you know don't get it at first that's okay because you keep at it you keep at it and i'll tell you when kids when people um charge each other's batteries Maya Angelo said you know you forget what you forget this about a person you forget that about a person what you never forget is how they made you feel exactly and what if you had a whole team of kids who were charging each other's batteries all the time man it's so it's so great that you just brought that up because my wife just brought that up yesterday we were it was in a different context but she brought up that exact same the exact same statement and it's true um, it's it's how we make people feel, and uh, and it's important. And I think that's why charging batteries, uh, really teaching young athletes about their energy. I believe because there's so many things that that are really important to to development, to team dynamics, and coaching. But I, I think at the basis of all of it is energy. How do we? How do what? What is our energy? How do we cultivate it? And when, when we don't have enough energy, what can we do in the moment to enhance it? Not to get us to 100%, but if we're 40%, how can I get to 50 or 60%, right? Yeah, you know, the, um, our, our mental state uh, can, can overcome a lot of situations. And my son, Gabriel Thompson, wrote a book um, called uh, Working in Shadows. He spent a year doing jobs that Mexican immigrants do that American citizens don't want to do. <laughs> And he was in a, a chicken slaughterhouse in North Carolina. And most, uh, there were three groups of people. There were, the, uh, there were blacks, there were whites, and there were, were Mexicans. They actually were Guatemalans, but the people called them Mexicans. Right. And the, the blacks and the whites, it, it was a horrible work condition. Um, Gabriel came home every day for the, the month or two months he did it. And... Um, he had to take all these painkillers because it was so anyway so um the blacks and the whites hated what they were doing and they were discouraged mm -hmm. the guatemalans were like this is so much better than uh doing tomatoes in florida we are on the upward uh right. and our kids are going to go to college and that the reality for all three of those groups was the same but the attitude was oh man i'm stuck in this dead end thing versus this is horrible, but it's better than it was, and we're on an upward swing. And right. coaches can do that. Coaches can set, can, it's, it, um, you know, it can reframe. It's really reframing. Totally. Um, totally. That's, as soon as you started saying that, I'm like, that's a great reframe. Um, and I think reframing is a skill. Um, it's, it's really, to me, it makes sense, and it's really easy on paper, but, you know, you have to practice it and challenge yourself with, you know, with when you have a tough practice or you have a tough situation or a tough game, how can you use those opportunities to, to enhance that skill?
Yeah. So awesome. Well, I want to, I, this is one of my favorite questions because it's about reflection and, uh, and I believe for us to, to learn and develop, uh, and to get better is to reflect. So when you think Absolutely. about your whole career, what do you think you've learned the most about yourself? That I can persevere in spite of all the FUDs I have. I think we talked about FUDs earlier, yeah. fear, yeah. uncertainty, and doubt. And I have a lot. I mean, I think people you know, would see me and they think, oh, you know, things are easy for Jim. But I get up in the morning so often just consumed with FUDs. <laughs> and I've learned that I can persevere Anyway, I can keep going. A lot of that's due to this, my wife, Sandra, um, mm-hmm. who I mentioned, I think I mentioned before, she's my spiritual guide. Um, and spirituality for me is, uh, the definition I really like is, um, it's the practical ways we orient ourselves to the sacred. So it's not about what you believe. It's not about what church you go to. It's, it's the, the things you do, the practical ways you orient yourself to the sacred. And then sacred means the things of ultimate value. So mm. it, could, it could be God. People could have a God or a higher power. Um, whatever it is, is the most sacred for you. Are you orienting yourselves towards that? Are you doing just like, just like um, it was so struck again by the, the last dance of, of the kind of workouts that Michael Jordan did. And when he started playing baseball, he had to have different workouts for baseball. Yeah. Um, and in, in sports, we, you know, we try to eat the right stuff. We try to get enough sleep. We, we work on our you know, skills and stuff. There's a discipline there. And, and spirituality is the same discipline. It's like, do I meditate or pray? Do I, um, do I experience gratitude? Do I really focus on being grateful for what I have? Do I try to uh, charge the tanks of the people around me? Do I try to make things better? I mentioned earlier the idea of an elevator, which is a I think a huge concept, again, elevator with an ER, not OR, right. uh, someone who in every situation tries to make it better. Am I trying to do that? Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jim, you know, you've written a lot of books, um, which I love. And I know you're, you're going about to release your, probably your last one, you said. Um, last one on new sports. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, share with my listeners um, a little bit about it, if, if you will, and then how they can reach out to you, connect with you, and learn more uh, about you as a whole. Um, my email address is jim at positivecoach.org. Okay. So people can reach me there. <clears throat> um, if, if, this, if this book I'm working on were a pitch, like a pitch for a movie, it would be You Sports Meets Climate Change. Um, when I started learning about climate change, uh, it was uh, the amount of suffering going on in the world already and the amount of suffering that's, that's coming down our way. And, it's, and much of it's unavoidable at this point, but we can't avoid a bunch of it. Um, and youth sports becomes even more important. You could say, well, it's the world's, you know, we're going to global, global collapse. <clears throat> you know, what, so what about youth sports? It's just the opposite. It's so important what coaches do now. So the, um, the idea behind the book, Eric Erickson in 19, I, I, I mentioned this before, uh, early 70s, he coined this term generativity. The kind of people we need to deal with this vast, new, harsh world it are um, high generativity people. 
people who are thinking about the future, how to make the future better. Um, now that's a little bit of a hard concept for kids. So I, the, the, the identity I really focus on with kids is be an elevator. Every situation, what's going on here? You're upset with your, your sister. Well, what can you do to make the situation better? You realize how hard your parents are working to, you know, to deal with this. Maybe your, your parents got laid off because you know, so many people are losing jobs. Is there something you can do to make the situation better? On this team, is there something you can do to make the situation better? So um, a guy named Dan McAdams, who's a psychology professor at Northwestern, um, took Eric Erickson's research to a different level. And he said, what are the qualities of highly generative people? And he came up with six. Um, a sense of purpose early in life, uh, high degree of empathy, character, steadfast character, um, the ability to turn rut stories into river stories. He had a different term for it, but I think rut story keeps you where you are. Oh, I can't get out of this. A river story helps you move on. Um, what were the other two? <laughs> um, anyway, there are two more. <laughs> and. Um, uh, it, this book is explaining to coaches how you can help your kids become elevators, become highly generative people, which has two benefits. One is it's going to help them survive. Uh, I can't overstate how bad things are going to get. And, you know, our, our, our leaders are doing nothing. Um, uh, not all of them, but many of them are doing nothing to, to resolve climate change. It's going to get really bad. So helping kids develop the mental toughness, uh, the, the ability to be an elevator is really important for them. And it's really important for our society because we need lots and lots of those people. Jack Clark, the rugby coach at Cal, mm. um, I won't get to exactly right, but he said, um, you know, it's not one or two smart people that we're, we're missing. What we need are um, lots and lots of people standing shoulder to shoulder with their noses pointed in the same direction to solve the problems we have. And you learn that in team sports. Yeah. So this book is really about how can we prepare kids to survive and thrive and to help our, our whole world survive and thrive. I'm really excited about it. You can probably tell. I, I love it. I can't wait to read it. I can't wait to read it. Well, Jim, this is, uh, this is literally, there's, you're just a wealth of knowledge. You have so much to offer. And, um, and I think uh, we need to bring you back and, and talk about more topics because I think there's, there's so much more that you can share and educate and inform my listeners. And uh, this has been a treat. This has been an honor. And uh, thanks for sharing your energy and your journey. Well, I really enjoyed it, Grant. I think you're a terrific uh, interviewer and it was really a fun conversation. Awesome. So I'll come back.